0: Hi, you're listening to Calm Conversations, a mental health podcast by Calm Collective Asia. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Sabrina. And
1: coming up in today's episode. I think at the end of the day, um, as caregivers, uh, we are there to support, but we're not there to walk the journey for them. I think that's firstly the most important thing to remember, is setting boundaries. There are boundaries to be set, um, otherwise you constantly find yourself being set up for disappointment and failure.
0: So today's episode is focusing on caregiving. Now, this is a topic that's really close to my heart because I was a caregiver in my past life. And it's something I think that not a lot of people talk about because as a caregiver, we're usually keeping secrets and whatever we go through, you know, we we tend to have to keep it private. And so not a lot of people realize How resilient you need to be as a caregiver, and I'm really grateful that we had Joan Lowe to join us. Uh, She's a founder and CEO of Thoughtful to talk a little bit about her caregiving experience and what kind of lessons she's learned from it. So Sab, what did you think about the episode?
2: Wow, Lisa, it was really interesting for me because um, you know, as you know, I've I've been on that on the receiving end of that care, right? So as I was recovering from depression, or, you know, even in the thick of it, my mom had flown in to Singapore from New Zealand. After I, I went through a really low, low She she came down, and I could see that it was really, really taking a toll on her mental health to see me go through what I was going through, and to figure out what's the best way to help me. So... It was interesting to hear from Joan because she had shared a lot of insights and learnings from her own experience. Um, and the other thing that really stood out for me was that Joan was able to openly share about how the caregiving experience that her family was facing had to be kept a secret from everyone because of you know, family shame and how our society as a whole is um, kind of pressuring us to uphold filial piety. And that uh, yeah, we really have to uphold the family name and everything, right. So that was really interesting because my my mom also told me, um, you know during Raya, when you meet your aunties, don't tell them in detail because uh, you know, what if they judge? what if they think that there is something wrong with you? So so that was that was kind of comforting to know that, it was not something that only my family went through, but it's it's something that we definitely need to work on.
0: Well, I have a question for you then. Um, I mean, during the podcast, and I spoke to Joan about this, we keep the identity of her loved one private, and we just quite, quite ambiguously say loved one um, for this episode. But you have been really, really open with your story. How does your family deal with that? Does that empower them to then talk about it as well on their side?
2: So... Well initially my family felt uh, a little bit you know they, they were a little bit intimidated by the fact that I was so open about it. So when I published a blog article about my my experience with depression um, or a depressive episode and my recovery from it uh, they were very concerned because you know they, they, they thought that would that it would really affect my future job prospects. Um, obviously they were hope they were afraid that, I would be the victim of, of stigma, you know. Mm. Um, but now increasingly so, they've started to be become a lot more supportive. And um, actually quite recently, my dad actually asked me to uh, share with his friends, his own community over a webinar mm. uh, to, yeah, to talk about mental health. So, so it's been really, really encouraging. And I can see that their mindset
0: has really changed over time. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is when someone goes through a mental health condition, it's not just them that's impacted, ultimately it impacts everyone around them, the ecosystem, Mm -hmm. right? Especially the caregivers of family, the ones who are closest. And I myself, seeing that experience of watching someone go through their lowest lows, wondering if they're going to get through it, you know, you feel pain as well, maybe not the same pain that the person is feeling or the same um, challenges, but it's definitely valid enough to call it a challenge. And I think a lot of caregivers don't take the time to acknowledge that. So Mm -hmm. I really hope our listeners learn a lot from today's conversation. And here's the podcast. I'm here today with Joan Lowe. She is the founder and CEO of Thoughtful and I'm so glad to have her with me today. Thank you Joan for being here.
1: Thanks Alyssa for having me. This is a very very exciting day um, to be sharing with you so looking forward. Right so today
0: I especially invited you to speak about being a caregiver and we'll get into that in a little bit but before we start why don't you tell us a little bit about Thoughtful. What what is Thoughtful? Why did you start it?
1: Okay Uh, so as you mentioned, Thoughtful is a digital mental health startup. And really, our vision is to empower people to uh, engage with their mental health earlier rather than later and making you know seamless mental health care more affordable and accessible for all. Um, one of the reasons why I started this was really motivated um, by a personal story. Um, so we've been mental health caregivers for the last Uh, 20 years and as you can imagine 20 years ago uh, it was not as common to talk about mental health Um, a lot of the resources that are available today was not available then and I think uh, as you can imagine you know there has been a lot of innovations happening but one thing that we have realized is that there's a huge innovation gap between what's happening in places like the U.S. for example or Europe versus where we are here in the region of Southeast Asia Uh, And I think being on the caregiver side and seeing how that innovation gap affects someone, uh, I guess you could call them an end user, um, uh, from a day-to-day basis uh, was very frustrating. And so that was really one of the biggest reasons why I decided to take the leap of faith um, and leave finance. Uh, So I was uh, most recently a banker in Hong Kong, Um, take that leap of faith and really uh, try and do something about it here. Uh, so that's how Thoughtful started. Um, yeah. And right now, uh, what one of our major offerings is through Thoughtful Chat. So Thoughtful Chat is our mobile app where we empower people to engage with their mental health earlier rather than later. And we do that through providing self-serve tools and also uh, connecting people for one-on-one daily bite-sized coaching with certified mental health professionals. Now, I think a lot of times in Asia, uh, people usually wait till it's a crisis before they take a step to engage with their mental health. That's something we want to empower people to prevent from happening. Uh, so really preventive mental health care here, where hopefully the crisis doesn't even happen in the first place, right? If we're engaging proactively along the way. So that's something that we're empowering people to do, Uh, whether it's through working with employers, universities and healthcare providers, uh, we're trying to reach as many people as possible. Uh, So yeah, so that's thoughtful and thoughtful chat.
0: That's great. Thanks for starting that. And it's something that is so needed here in the region. And as you say, there's a long way to go. And yeah, being proactive is the way to go when it comes to
2: mm-hmm.
0: supporting mental health. So oftentimes when people get into the mental health space, they have a personal story. I'd love to know if you could share it with us, your journey as a caregiver. And I know that it's a bit challenging as a caregiver. You have your story as a caregiver, but you also have the story of your loved one. And there's a balance here. And, you know, what? where can you share your story and where... Um, it's not your story to tell anymore. So, mm-hmm. so how would you like to address that?
1: Um, I think it, you're very right in saying that it's it's multiple stories intertwined together, right? And uh, over time, it almost <laughs> becomes one big convoluted blo- blob <laughs> of a story. Uh, but to to share. The journey from the beginning. Uh, I think it's really, it's not just two stories uh, of mine as a caregiver versus um, the, our loved one who is going through uh, the mental affliction. I I think it's actually much more than that. Uh, so this is almost taking a more systemic approach, or or a more, I guess, a you know, ecosystem approach, so to speak. Because when someone does end up going through a mental health challenge uh, and experience. It's not just them. uh, It's the multiple layers around them as well in society and in community. Uh, It's the family members. It's the immediate family members, the extended family members, the friends, the employers, the colleagues. uh, All of that uh, comes into the full ecosystem of an individual. And Every single facet can be affected in some shape or form over time uh, when someone does, you know, go through a mental health challenge, and so I think, um, really, when it started, uh, it it really came out of the blue for us. Uh, as a family, because as you can imagine, in the nineties, twenty years ago, no one talked about mental health. This is this is really, you know, the the time of still dial up internet, <laughs> where, where you waited five minutes for your internet to connect. So it wasn't really one of those situations where uh, information about mental health was very available, people weren't talking about it the way they are now. Um, I think right now, you know, things like hashtag self-care and like, you know, um, um, uh, mental health, well-being, all of this is very in trend,
0: uh, yeah, so to I guess speak. I this generation has social media. They can learn about it. They can very quickly
1: Google. Absolutely. And you have the social reinforcements as well, right? Because in social media, you see more and more people doing it, talking about it, and it gives you courage and momentum to also you know kind of join that conversation um this is a time back in the 90s when you didn't have that uh you don't have that kind of platform uh you also don't have as much information on the net as you do now that's all verifiable and so i think at that time it really came out of the blue um i i For the sake of, you know, potential audiences on the podcast, um, I won't go into too much detail. Um, But we're, all I'll say is we're glad that we uh, found out in the nick of time. How old were you? I was 12.
0: Okay. And at that point, you know, what was your knowledge of mental health actually? Zero.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Zero, never heard of it. Um, I I think for for a, a lot of the family as well, it was all you know. It, it was very new. Uh, we're quite lucky because we have a lot of family outside of. Uh, um, uh, the region so uh, for example one of our family members in Australia was very instrumental in educating us about it um, this family member is a is a doctor uh, in Sydney and I think you know in Sydney it was already or in Australia it was a conversation that was happening already uh, albeit of course not as advanced as it is today. And so educating us about, you know, how mental illnesses is also very much like any other form of physical illnesses or chronic illnesses. Um, there is, you know, a biomedical way of approaching it. There's also, you know, the, the psychosocial aspect of approaching it. Uh, although the psychosocial aspect wasn't so big then, um, even in the medical field. So it was really more of a, the, the medical route. Um, which actually helped us to wrap our heads around it and be better caregivers in in a sense. Um, and it's obviously evolved over time. Um, I think before, you know, it was very much on just trying to understand what it is uh, and also trying to balance out, right? So uh, being in a very traditional Chinese family, um, uh, I think a lot of times... You know, any form of mental health challenge can be seen as a weakness, an excuse. Oh, it's just laziness. Oh, we're making excuses. Oh, you're not trying hard enough. You know, all these kind of, uh, uh, I, I guess, ideas is is not uncommon. Uh, even today, in, you know, year 2021, it's still very, very common. Can I ask, what are some of the challenges that your family has faced as caregivers? Mm, I think the challenges have evolved over time. Um, So if I could kind of put it into different stages or chapters in the last 20 years, I think in the beginning it was very much on education, uh, educating ourselves as caregivers. I think a lot of it was also grappling with understanding what was even going on uh, because we, we won't know how to support someone if we didn't understand what was happening. So... I think in the early days, a lot of that challenge was there. Uh, A lot of that challenge was also us questioning our initial preconceived ideas of what mental health is or is not, uh, and also catching ourselves in some uh, maybe false beliefs, right? Uh, So like I mentioned, it's very common to... uh, not be able to distinguish very clearly between when a behavior or a thought process or certain things that are being said are actually driven by an illness rather than the person who we used to know uh, growing up. And and I think that takes a lot of time to recognize and to separate the two. Uh, So a lot of it is on, you know, educating ourselves, honing our Uh, observational skills as well, and mentally learning how to separate certain things, uh, segregation of certain things. Uh, So I think that was really the the biggest challenge in that first, you know, first few years. There's also an added layer as a family who's going through this, you know, back in the early 2000s with um, a a very traditional kind of uh, upbringing is, you know, how do you talk about this with anyone, How do you even acknowledge it with anyone? And honestly, for the longest time, it was very much contained to our own immediate family for as long as we could. Um, Even with uh, an extended family who we were very close to, it wasn't something that we knew how to talk about. Uh, we didn't have the lexicon, we didn't have uh, the, the, the mindset that it's okay to do so. Uh, there was a lot of shame, guilt, all sorts of things kind of bundled into that whole chapter. Uh, and I think that was kind of that next phase, right? Once you start figuring out and educating yourself, then the next phase is also coming to terms with it and knowing how to handle it externally, uh, not just internally, uh, so I think that was the other chapter that had to kind of, uh, you know, we had to learn over time. Uh, now we are all very open, <laughs> as, as you can tell, uh, and, and we we realize that it actually um, is also helping society and community when we take that step to open up because we realize that actually a lot of people around us in some shape or form, have, you know, done a bit of caregiving themselves, uh, or or even they themselves might have gone through something, and it makes it okay for people to, you know, be comfortable with it. Uh, so I think those were some of the biggest, biggest challenges. Uh, and right now, currently, I think in in the environment we're in, in, in the region we're in, um, the and, and now that we're so much more educated about what is available out there and what can be done Uh, the biggest challenge for us now is to actually find the right uh, support treatment therapies professionals all of that at an affordable price point that is sustainable for something that's now a chronic uh, you know chronic illness in a way Um, so I think that's currently where we are at now and it's evolved. Thanks for sharing that Um, just going back a little bit you were
0: quite young I guess there's a lot of things that you're also, uh, um, growing up, you you had to kind of process. Um, how did the role of a care- being a caregiver affect your mental health?
1: Mm. I think in the beginning, uh, we didn't really think about it at all. <laughs> the whole idea of being a caregiver as a term wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're in survival mode, Everyone just drops everything, and you know, kind of all hands on deck, right? Uh, so you don't really think about it. Um, but I would say uh, it's very the mind's very powerful, and and um, as human beings, we're very adaptable, and I think that's where different coping skills comes in. Uh, and, and of course, you know, at that time on a personal level, I can't speak for you know the other uh, members of uh, the family and, and friends. Uh, but I think for me personally, uh, when I did find out that you know something was happening um, to someone we love, and and we need to you know be there and be supportive, um, very naturally, even as a you know very young teenager, I think the the first thing that I started doing was to make sure that I was not I was independent, so that I didn't add on to the stress that was already in the environment uh and so uh from a very young age I think I I almost like grew up overnight (laughs) um and and suddenly you wake up right you're like in this little princess fairy tale as a child you're like oh yes you know a princess and then all of a sudden you're like okay she's getting real in life like I need to grow up and then you kind of grow up Mm -hmm. and and kind of chart that life for yourself um yeah, and I think that was my biggest coping mechanism, right. actually, to and keep going. This is also, I mean, you had to also carry a big
0: secret with you. At what point did you feel comfortable to share it with someone
1: outside of the family? Uh, this is actually quite uh, insane, but the first time I actually shared this was when I left the country. How old were you then? I was 18. Oh, wow, so, so it, it took six up. years. Wow. Yeah, And so none of your friends knew? Um, No, no. Um, I think there were friends who I knew from very, very young, like primary school kind of friends who knew me all throughout secondary school as well. And I think they did see a change. Uh, but I think as kids, you know, you don't know what the, what's driving that change, right? Oh, maybe it's just teenage angst, who knows? Um, so so I think it was like a conversation that never came up. And I think, like I mentioned as well, right, when you're that young, you don't know the words to use to express it. Uh, you don't have the right lexicon to do so. Uh, and, and there was obviously not that much uh, dialogues out in the open for me to emulate. So, so, so I think, um, yeah, it was just one of those things where you muscle through on your own um, quietly and try not to be a burden to other people, do your thing, and then and then you know hope for the best. Um, but the first time I did open up about it was actually when I left the country, went to boarding school in Canada, and um, that's when my eyes were open to how it could be so different. Because in, in in I think in North America in general, it's actually quite accepted to uh, talk about uh, certain things uh, as it pertains to mental health Uh, but also almost everyone has seen someone (laughs) at some point in their life right Uh, it's almost a status symbol to have a shrink sometimes in the U.S. (laughs) Uh, because you have the insurance that you can afford for it so uh, that's a whole different conversation to have Um, but yeah I think that was the first time I opened up because other people around me were talking about their own experiences uh, experiences in their family and I realized that oh actually, I'm not the only one who's going through this and there are all these other people and it's okay to talk about it. Mm. And it was hard um, and I was I was really scared um, even trying to verbalize it. Were you afraid
0: of being judged? What was it that you were scared of?
1: Um, I mean... <laughs> uh, as much as I have spent a lot of time abroad, I think at the end of the day, I'm still uh, very much conditioned in the Asian upbringing. Um, shame, like family shame is probably one of the biggest deterrents, uh, because because I think you know filial piety and um, you know not bringing shame to your family is a, is a common thread that you're conditioned to to uphold from a very young age. Uh, and I think I took that very seriously, of course. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest fears. and and even even before starting thoughtful, I mean, I wanted to make sure that everyone would be okay with it before because obviously I would start sharing, right? So yeah. um, those were things that I wanted to make sure was covered. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you
0: brought up this, you know, Philel piety family shame that's something quite unique to many different Asian cultures yeah. um, compared to the West. And one of the biggest reasons, I think, why mental health still has a big taboo around
1: it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you've, yeah. you've shared that and addressed uh-huh. that. So, yeah. I, cool. but, I mean, Alyssa, you, you've you had your own um, experience as well and, you know, reasons as to why you're doing Calm Collective right now with Sabrina. I mean, I would love to also learn from your caregiving perspective right because i think uh, you were an adult when when you were going through it mm-hmm. um you're probably more conscious about you know what was happening so i really love to learn a bit mm-hmm. more about how you went sure through it. Yeah. well i mean i actually went through my journey very
0: i was very isolated in my journey i didn't know that much about mental health aside from what i would read in articles but actually experiencing my late husband going through bipolar episodes. I thought it was something, you know, this only happens in the movies, Um, but it could get really intense. And I mean, I'd preface this with, you know, he was um, okay most of the time, but there are times when, you know, things would get out of hand and there are multiple suicide attempts. And I've mentioned this before, um, where I've literally had to stop him from hurting himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could happen. I, I, I can't even count how many times that happened. Um, But I was afraid that if I told my parents that this was going through, they'd be like, you can't marry him, you know, get out of that relationship. Uh, But, and so, and so I kept it to myself. And one thing I wish I had known back then was mental health is not only something related to mental illness. Those who are caregivers also have mental health to take care of too, Mm -hmm. and I wish I had known there's actually a lot of caregiver support out there in Singapore, globally as well, caregiver support groups, where sometimes all you need is actually just to rant to somebody because this is someone you love, but sometimes when they're going through an episode, they can be assholes,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, or it can be really difficult and scary. And I really wish I had someone to kind of talk through all my experiences and also get support and um, I think the biggest barrier was that my husband himself didn't want anyone to know, so he didn't want his family to know. Um, I, I tested the waters a little bit. Um, I, 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 I don't know if I should share this story. I can, I can cut it out later if I decide not to. But one of the first times, um, Tyler told me he wanted to end his life. I actually told Sabrina. Uh, she was his housemate, and I, I knew, okay, they're living together, so she might be able to help me keep an eye out on him so she kind of concocted this plan to um, write an email to his uncle who he's really close to and just mention that you know we think he's something's off that uh, he's not doing really well Um, and we hoped that that uncle would send an email back and say and and kind of support us on this but instead he reached out to Tyler and was like who's this who's this Sabrina and why did she send me this email and it all backfired from there and after that Tyler was like um, at that point I, I took my name out of it and Tyler went up to me and was like why did Sabrina send this email to my uncle and so he immediately lost his trust in Sabrina for a, for a while
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and that was just wow okay I, I realized then looks like I can't get support from his family at this point because They'll just go back to Tyler, verify it, and Tyler will deny it. And the hardest part of, of that was if, because he didn't want to seek help for himself. He didn't want anyone to know I also had to carry that secret. And so, yeah, I guess I, I carried that secret for a long time. And it's only after he passed away that I, I made a decision that I really didn't want to keep any more secrets in this. And the more people keep secrets like this, the more it'll seem like mental illness, mental health is like a taboo. Mm-hmm. So that's a very, I guess, spark notes version of my caregiver experience. But yeah, I'm, there's something I really resonated with what you said earlier about like being in a sort of crisis mode. I had to very quickly adapt. I was always on high alert. Um, if I actually made big changes in my life, I, I made sure that I had a very flexible job for a while. I didn't take on a full-time job where I had to go to an office so that I could be literally on call 24-7 if anything happened and he needed me to be there to calm him down or to pick up the phone, calm him down, or just go and see him or be next to him. I, I think I was like literally 24-7 for a couple years. Um, and I think that kind of experience really puts you in alert. It, it makes you anxious. It definitely... Um, made me anxious for a long time. I, I never knew when is the when's the next call going to be. When's um, the next crisis going to be? And I think a lot of caregivers kind of experience that. Like, do you,
1: do you kind of have that experience of? Oh yeah. Um, it, I I think it's something that people don't realize as well is when the boundaries start blurring between um, what used to what used to be and what has become. <laughs> Uh, and and then you know the their journey gets so intertwined with yours. Um, I think for 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 me, for example, I can hundred percent resonate with that anxiety of getting that phone call. Um, so for the last couple of years, I I've been abroad. And every time the phone rings from a family member, it's like, whoa, (laughs) what's happening? (laughs) I'm like, you know, 15 hours in a different time zone behind you. Uh, So so there's all these things that come in. And that's actually a lot of uh, underlying anxiety that you live with or you learn to live with, Mm -mm. which is obviously not very healthy. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you don't um, have the right tools and mechanisms uh, in place. I think for me, I just dealt with all of that by working. Working even harder Mm. so again uh, like the true Asian you know soldier (laughs) that I was Uh, it's like okay got something wrong (laughs) work harder obviously you know not recommended kids Uh, did did you ever (laughs) see caregiver support or anyone else in your family see caregiver support yeah so I think um, very interesting it was only very recently that we have uh, gone for formal caregiver education Mm. Uh, so there are courses to take out there, uh, and it's only maybe in the last in the last five to ten years that uh, you know organizations and hospitals have made this available. Uh, back then, obviously, you know the caregiver was not even in the equation; <laughs> it was all focused <laughs> on the patient. Uh, so, so some of the family members and I have actually gone for this, and it's been tremendously helpful. And so, for anyone who is going through their own journey, I would say, you know, um, uh, don't take the long path that, you know, we had to take in that first six to eight years where we, we're self-educating and trying to figure out life on our own uh there is a lot of structured learning out there where uh, you can download everything in in like a four four-part series workshop so uh, it's much faster much accelerated please just go <laughs> for it okay. Very, I'll, I'll
0: ask you for some of those resources and i'll link them to the show notes okay uh,
1: no problem uh happy happy to share um yeah i think that was probably um one of the caregiver educations, yeah. Could you share with
0: us what are some of the, I don't know, bullet points, key, key points that you learned
1: actually from that caregiver education? Yeah, uh, I think the most important is the first part, and I can still remember this, it was a course over a month. Um, the, the first part was focused on understanding mental health and mental ill health uh, in the first place uh, from a medical perspective. Uh, and also from you know kind of a a, a biopsychosocial model a perspective and that was tremendously helpful because then you can understand uh, and explain the behaviors of what the person you're taking care of going through uh, and how to read it and and maybe not take it personally so one that that was the first part uh, the second part was then uh, learning how to uh, handle the situation and handle um, the person you're taking care of Uh, and this is where you might not think about it immediately but it almost felt like a sales training workshop really (laughs) and negotiation skills workshop because it's so communications heavy Mm. so one of the biggest issues that caregivers face is one um, uh, convincing their loved one that there is something that is not right right now and and that it's okay to go seek help that's usually the biggest uh hurdle I I definitely experience that too yeah uh and, and a lot of it is um is is negotiation uh and convincing uh and 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 doing it in a way that doesn't backfire and that doesn't cause more negative impacts so for example I think it's very common especially in an environment where it's not so much focus on positive affirmations as it is negative motivation. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you have to study hard, otherwise you have bad grades. Rather than oh, you know, you should study hard so you can fulfill your potential. Uh, it's totally different framing. And because I think here in Asia we're very used to 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 the more um, uh, negative, tough love yeah. tough love perspective. Uh, sometimes when we deliver the message that hey. I think, you know, we're going through a hard time right now. Perhaps it's good to see if we can find the proper support and resources to get through this together. Uh, Sometimes it can come across as, hey, I think something's wrong with you, La. Let's go. You know, I think you need to go see a doctor. Uh, The moment it's phrased that way, boom, like literally things explode. And that's where you see negative impacts. Uh, So that was actually a very big part of the course. Uh, negotiation, conversation, communication, uh, and how to do it in a in a very nuanced way. Um, and then I think the 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 other part, which is so important, is also taking care of the caregiver, which is each and every one of ourselves. Caregiver burnout is very real. Um, I think all of us have gone through it at some point, um, and and that even as caregivers, uh, as much as the patient themselves are getting the support. From, you know, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, we should, and and, uh, peer groups, uh, caregivers should also be made, you know, uh, made available those resources. Uh, So, so yeah, I think those were some of the big takeaways. Thanks for sharing that. Those are really good tips. I I think our listeners
0: will definitely appreciate. But as you recommend, they should definitely go for the full course. Go for
1: the full course. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. This podcast is not enough, guys. Just so you know.
0: (laughs) So. I imagine one of the challenges is also dealing with other people who just don't understand mental health or don't are unable to extend the empathy and understanding necessary for your loved one. Um,
1: how do you deal with those kind of people? Mm, I think um, I, I I will share very candidly that in the beginning, um, the most Natural reaction is to be angry and frustrated at, at you know, the kind of comments that you get sometimes. Uh, but I think over time uh, we realize that it's it doesn't come from a bad place. It just comes from um, a lack of education. I think just as how financial literacy should should be more universal uh, today, uh, mental health literacy should also be more universal today. And it really uh, is all about framing as well, right? Like for me, when I have someone who uh, pushes back on on things that you know uh, uh, we say or things that we do about being supportive of you know the mental health ecosystem, um, I think the first thing is to understand that number one, don't take it personally. Um, it's not a personal attack. It's truly because there is a huge gap in mental health literacy. And we, 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 you know, shouldn't blame them, right? Uh, and and not react with anger and negativity. Uh, really, how I see it today is an opportunity to convert someone else and, you know, share the knowledge that we have gathered over the last 20 years uh, of being a caregiver and sharing that with someone else. Uh, because that's how multiplier effects happen. That's how, you know, we can kind of share the good and share the positivity. Uh, and so whenever someone does come and, you know, make... I would say slightly ignorant comments. Um, I would usually just take a take an ujjayi breath, <laughs> smile, um, remember you know my role in this community and uh, society, and uh, you know address it head on um, and and say, hey, you know, like I understand where you're coming from. Of course, empathize with them first, and then uh, share the reasons why. Um, you know, these are some of the findings that we've we've, we've learned over time uh, happy to share and sometimes you can agree to disagree um, not everyone's going to see it the same way and that's completely fine but I think as long as we've done our job to share the knowledge then that's all we can do control what we can't control you know You're very diplomatic I don't know if
0: I think it's taken me a longer time to get to that that place where you are <laughs> right now <laughs> 20
1: years <laughs> give it some time
0: <laughs> all right so aside from what you said in the course earlier what's the best way? From your own personal experience that you realize you could help your loved one as a caregiver the most?
1: Mm.
0: In terms of helping them. I guess supporting their mental health. Mm. And
1: how can you be there for them? Mm -hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, as caregivers, uh, we are there to support, but we're not there to walk the journey for them. I think that's firstly the most important thing to remember is setting boundaries. There are boundaries to be set. Um, otherwise, you constantly find yourself being set up for disappointment and failure, which is, again, not great for your mental health. Um, and, and why I've started with that, um, to answer your question of how we can best support our, um, our loved one, is because when we have those boundaries very clear, um, then we manage our own expectations of where we think our loved one is supposed to go, um, how they're supposed to progress, uh, and, and what they're supposed to so-called achieve uh, in the treatment journey. Uh, and the moment we, we, we manage our own expectations, remove these some of these you know, uh, 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 false beliefs and achievements that we have set for them, Uh, then that's when we can truly be there to support them on their journey, not your projected journey on them. Uh, And I think that's super important because a lot of times, if it's a loved one, you've most probably known them for a while. Uh, And if you've known them for a while, you probably have an image of what they used to be already. Um, But you know, due to the illness, obviously things might have changed and they might not be the same as what you used to know. Uh, and 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 the fact of the matter is, depending on you know, the severity and also how far along they are in the journey, they might never get back to that one hundred percent from before. That might not be the reality in the future anymore. Perhaps it's eighty percent. Perhaps it's a different form of a hundred percent, but you you, in your mind, it's not hundred percent because it's a different form. And so I think it's very important to remember, again, that we have our own benchmarks, but our benchmarks are for ourselves. Uh, Try not to project our benchmarks onto them because they will have new benchmarks that you don't even know yet. Uh, And so to be fully supportive of that is to give them space to do so, uh, to educate yourself on what the symptoms are, what the consequences are, how it affects behavioral thought and also um, uh, uh, emotional change. Uh, and and really be there to support their journey, not the journey that you think they should be on. That's really great advice. Thank you.
0: And as you were saying that, I was thinking back to my own journey as well. And yeah, there are definitely times where I think I projected my own expectations. And I think um, at the time, Tyler was really reluctant to go see a psychiatrist or uh, a counselor because you know, he had this fear, okay, but what if I don't get better and you're expecting, you know, that appointment's going to make me a lot better? And I think he kind of struggled with that pressure from me as well. Um, so definitely something that caregivers do need to take note of. What are your expectations and draw the boundaries around those? So thank you.
1: Yeah. No, but thanks for sharing that as well. I mean, I'm sure it hasn't been easy um, for you, looking back in hindsight, right, and now you probably have so much uh, wider perspective now that you've, you know, created this beautiful community. Um, I mean, from a caregiver to another one as well. Like, I hope that you know, if there's any form of regret or guilt or whatever, um, I, I I I hope you. You don't feel that or I mean and and if you do then you know have a form of or way of of processing that because again as caregivers as well I think one of the biggest things that we go through is a lot of guilt and pressure on ourselves that we are disappointing and not being there for our loved ones Mm. and that guilt and pressure um can can be very detrimental for our own well-being uh you know, both psychologically and also physically, uh, and and it's something that we have to realize that at that point in time we are operating and reacting to the situation with the as best we can with the information that we have and the resources that we currently have. And it's always easy to look behind in hindsight and look back in hindsight and say, oh, you know, it would have been great if I did this or if I did that and blah, blah, blah. Um, Personally, we've obviously all had gone through this before. (laughs) In 20 years, there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. to look back on. (laughs) Um, But but it's always important to realize that I know this now, but I did not know this then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I should also be kinder to ourselves as a That's caregiver uh, and and real, realize that you know that kindness needs to be extended within so yeah
0: thank you yeah, it's definitely a learning journey and especially in the start um it's it's very easy to get emotions in the way and it it takes practice to realize okay this is a situation or an episode, but I can, if I stay calm, this person will get through this a lot easier than if I put my emotion in there and make this, you know, um, a fight or whatever it is. Um, and and we had a talk um, last year with SOS Samaritans of Singapore about suicide prevention, and they shared some tips with us about, you know caregivers and what caregivers can do and one is the thing one of the things that they said is you know try to project emotional stability and that's so important for caregivers I realized and something I learned down the line uh, but not immediately is mm-hmm. you have to stay strong and project that emotional stability in the eye of the storm and it's it's a skill it's not something that comes naturally to anybody no. but something why I think caregivers are really able to build resilience Mm
1: -hmm. and 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 i think uh that's that's where a lot of i i find misconceptions come in as well right um sometimes when we uh when when we meet caregivers uh, and i ask questions like you know um how are you uh, taking care of yourself as a caregiver. I mean, are you seeing a counselor yourself to process some of these things? Uh, are you working with someone to, whether it's a coach or someone, to to um, build the kind of resilience that would be needed? Uh, and a lot of times, one of the biggest pushbacks I will get from caregivers is the fact that, oh, I mean, the problem's not with me, it's with so-and-so. Uh, I'm just trying to be the best support that I can for that person. Uh, and that's where I think, uh, certain perceptions need to um, be broadened because if we don't have the tools and wherewithal to in the eye of the storm have the magnum I can't say that word magnanimity like having the ability to step take a step back and and have that macro perspective uh, and not get dragged into the storm itself by the person um, and to stay stoic and project that emotional stability that's very much needed to de-escalate any crisis situation. If we do not build that skill set, that psychological wherewithal and adaptability, um, then we will not be doing the person we're taking care of, a service, and also ourselves, Uh, because how we react in a crisis situation can very well determine the outcome. And that's the kind of power and responsibility that a caregiver has. In a very serious situation, lives can be at stake, not just the person at hand, but everyone who is in that environment. And I think that is where it's almost important and vital that the caregiver also removes the stigma for themselves remove the pride um that oh i'm not the one that's sick the other person is uh and and admit that this is this is a situation i need to study and learn and practice and prepare myself for uh, and then kind of you know move forward with that mindset it makes so much sense why crisis negotiation is part of the curriculum, right? Yep, yep. Um, you know, talk to, it's almost like taking a, what do you call it, that master class with Michael Voss or something? Yes, the I, CIA agent. Chris Voss, Chris Voss. Yeah. Read,
0: I read his book. <laughs> uh, it's really great. And definitely, I mean... Yeah, it'd be interesting to, <laughs> to apply some of those. In- I mean, if he
1: can, you know, de-escalate a, 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 a terrorist situation, um, honestly, those skill sets you can use for any, anywhere in life, right? Whether, yeah. whether it's a, a heated argument or whether it's a, a bar, bar fight, I think anything <laughs> anything will be, will yeah. be doable. So I want to take a look at the ecosystem.
0: So you have the immediate family, right, who are usually caregivers. There are also friends that you mentioned in the beginning. And I I know a lot of friends want to help a loved one, but they're not close enough. They might not have all the details, but they do want to support. And we've gotten a lot of these questions in, in our talks before. You know, What's the best way friends, outside of the immediate caregiver circle, how can they support someone who might be going through a mental health crisis?
1: I think for friends, um, it's very similar to immediate family members as well. So I say this because um, I recognize that not everyone's primary caregiver would be the immediate family member Mm. um, because it depends on your family dynamic. For some people, um, that is not their first uh, uh, go-to safety net. Uh, Sometimes it's actually their closest friends. Uh, that will be the default primary Mm. or secondary caregiver. Uh, And so uh, if, let's say, for example, you're a friend and you have someone who is going through something and you want to figure out how to be of service and help, um, is the exact same approach. Uh, Again, um, getting educated on what it is, uh, understanding what's the best way of broaching the topic with your friend, uh, and 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 perhaps making sure everything from the environment. I think we have a couple of social media posts on this from last year or two years ago on how to actually create the five A's, right? Like the the um, everything from like the ambience to the approach to uh, the analysis, everything. Um, getting all of that ready before you jump into the conversation and say, "Hey, I think you need help." This is what you need. Um, so doing some of that prep work before, uh, whether you are uh, an immediate family member, extended family member, an employer, you know, a boss or a colleague or a friend, uh, the prep work should be the same. Um, of course, the setting of the conversation might be different, but the approach should always be the same and it should um, be as non-confrontational <laughs> uh, as, as it, it, it can be. Uh, so so for friends, I think, do the same research, yeah, um, and reach out if, you know, anyone needs uh, any support, happy to share resources. Right. Um, if
0: I'm a friend of somebody who I, I suspect is going through a mental health crisis, um, what, what would be a better thing to do? Approach that person directly with the prep work that you said, or approach their primary caregiver and say, this is what I see,
1: how can I help? Mm. Um, I think this is where it's more an art than a science., mm. uh, so there's no one prescription for all because again, it really depends on the dynamic of the situation. Um, for example, if let's say, uh, and I, I, I you know happy to share different use cases to show why it's more an art mm-hmm. than a science. Uh, let's say, for example, in scenario one, um, that person is actually uh, not the closest to the primary caregiver. Uh, and perhaps it's the primary caregiver that's causing a lot of the mm. issues. Uh, then going to that person might not be the best uh, right. form of option to do, to do so, uh, and it could really backfire in the sense that it will completely break the trust between yourself and your friend. Mm. Uh, and then that one channel that he had or she had to to express themselves and what they're going through would be would be broken. Uh, so that could be. You know, one one use case. Another use case, for example, is if let's say, for example, the your friend is not even in the right frame of mind um, to make the right calls anymore. Uh, you know, their logical train of thought is not there anymore. Cognitively, you know, it's you know um, uh, deteriorated to a point where they are not even making sense. Uh, then. Probably going to whoever that primary caregiver is would and and, and working out the logistics of getting yeah. support with that individual might be the best option because your friend's not in the right state of mind to do so. Right, right. Um, so you know, there are different scenarios, and I think it's very important to assess the situation. Again, one of the A's uh, in the five A's to to approach, right? It's It's that. Um, yeah, so okay, really depending. Well, unfortunately,
0: this conversation has to come to an end, but I've learned so many things from you. Thank you. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be benefiting from this conversation too. Uh, But before we wrap up, I'd like to just ask you one question that we ask all of our guests, and that is,
1: how do you find calm for yourself? That's a great question. Uh, I think uh, for me, I journal a lot. Um, so that's one of the ways I do um, find calm. I I have different different outlets or different resources and tools for different environments and different circumstances. Journaling is one of them. I exercise as well. Um, so you know. If ever there's aggression, I'll definitely go for my MMA. (laughs) Uh, But if I want some Zen, I'll do some yoga. Um, But I'm a very active person in general. So exercising is a big part of it. Journaling is a big part of it. Um, I have my own uh, professional that I speak to on a regular basis as well. Um, And I think it's very important, right, for us to walk the walk as well. Um, So if we are, again, preaching that people should be engaging with their mental health earlier rather than later, then you know, that's exactly what we should be doing if we are telling other people to do so. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I definitely have that as well. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, Joan. No problem. Thank you for having me, Alyssa. Thank you for
0: listening to Calm Conversations. If you liked today's conversation, make sure to follow this podcast. We have a lot more interesting conversations lined up dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an Asian cultural lens. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website, www.comcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.